Welcome to a special sports edition of the Nerdcast Podcast. This is Nerdcast Jay, and this past weekend, my daughter Madeline, co-host of the Madcast, and myself went down to Bush Stadium for the annual blogger event. I was able to record the conversation with John Mozeliak. Uh, he spoke to us um, and then answered a bunch of questions for all the bloggers there. Uh, there's some really good information that came out, um, a good look at the day-to-day running of the Cardinals, how he looks at trades, um, and it ends with a question about when Yachty's coming back. Uh, the audio, audio quality isn't the best. Uh, it was the best I could do, though. I didn't have my normal recording equipment with me. Uh, hopefully, it'll level out when I play with the sound, so enjoy. Without any further ado, I'm going to give you our president of baseball operations, Mr. John Mozilla. Good afternoon. Always fun to sit with this group. Um, I know I have so many fans in here. No one ever second guesses what I do. So I guess it's like a really safe place. Uh, but, you know, look, I have a hard job. Um, you know, you, you, you think about like trying to keep people happy, trying to keep people engaged, and, and there's always different ways to solve problems. And you know, perhaps the way we go about it isn't always the most popular or or, or maybe uh, the most exciting. But you know, we still feel like we put a really quality product out there. We think it's engaging. You know, I think back to, to like when we traded for someone like Nolan Arenado, and, and like, why do you do something like that? Um, certainly reallocate those resources somewhere else but you know when I think about the St. Louis Cardinals and, and when I say we I'm saying like ownership and front office you know, we recognize that that we have a special fan base we have a fan base that is looking to to have the type of players to cheer for that eventually become iconic and you know we had Goldie um, you know guys like Matt Carpenter were on this side of the career until the last four weeks. <laughs> but, you know, we, we really felt like you, you look back at the last 20 years or so, we always had sort of that core of players, whether it was Alvin Pools, Jim Edmonds, Scott Rowland, to then when we got Matt Holiday, you know, paired him with Berkman and, and others. So it's, it was just something that we felt like compelled to do and the importance of doing it. But we, we're never going to run from the way we have to operate this team, and, and that's being pipeline driven. Meaning, you know, we have to draft well, we have to sign well internationally, we have to have players coming up. Um, you know, whether you like it or not, we are the 24th or 26th size market in baseball. Everyone define that, and yet our payroll, we're able to compete as a top 10, and. But there's a big discrepancy between number one, number two, and number ten. And and so, you know, whatever you think about the game of baseball, we don't play in a level playing field. And um, that might be part of the charm of baseball because you don't have a salary cap. You don't have all 32 clubs like in, in another sport that have like almost like the same type of resources to do just basically pick the best kickball team when you were in kindergarten and you won. This is a little different, you know. You have to be strategic in how you think about putting a club together, and, and you know, I have my limitations on how much we can actually go spend or, or add to payroll. But I still think, you know, the way we go about it is still a fun place to come watch baseball. And again, I know there's some people here that would say, no, no, go out and get X, Y, or Z, and give it all up. But 
you know, you, you think back to a trade even like when we got Ozuna, you know, a lot of people said, okay, that's great. You know, we were willing to part with people. Well, in a way, I wish I hadn't, right? <laughs> kind of pretty sweet to be running like Sandy out there every fifth day. Um, and, and so, like, I get it, you know, there's, there's a cost of, of, of playing poker, and, you know, in this business, I feel like that cost sometimes goes up depending on the, the time of year. And if you understand sort of like uh, trade markets in general, probably the worst time to go out and make a trade is the trading deadline. Why? Because you're probably having to pay an acquisition cost higher than any other time of year, and you only get the player for, in our case, if we were to do it, um, I guess second half, what about 67 games left? So then subtract whatever you get to August 2nd. So I mean, like, you know, you're not actually getting the player for the full year, so you gotta use that math as well. So anyway, there's, there's tons of things that, that go into sort of how we think about stuff. And, and really the purpose of today is to, to allow you guys to sort of ask me like how we think about things or why we think about things. And you know, to Carson's point, you guys are, are, are certainly a median that is used today. And, and you have subscribers or you have listeners or readers. And so, you know, you might as well inform you guys. So I'm open, I'm an open book. Um, Obviously, I'll, I'll try to be as transparent as possible. There's our limitations and everything, right? But, uh, you know, I certainly appreciate, appreciate everything you guys do to at least um, promote the St. Louis Cardinals, so I thank you. So, anyway, questions? All right, we'll just kind of go right up the middle and work our way around. Hi, I'm Jason Hill, Viva Albertos. You mentioned being pipeline driven. I saw a report earlier this week that you guys are leading baseball in production by draft position by expected value. I mean, you're getting more out of the draft than any other team in baseball uh, through the last 10 years. What are some factors? That's a good thing. It is a very good thing. <laughs> what are some, during your tenure, what are some factors that have made that happen? You know, we have a great model, right? A great draft model. But I want to be, I also want to recognize like how we think about that model, okay? And it's, it's very much analytically driven, but it's also very, heavily based on what our scouts said. So we were fortunate to have a very uh, progressive, aggressive scouting team. And so between what we're getting out of them, the information, and what we're able to to really sort of uh, manipulate, if you will, from performance, because everybody's squeezing the same orange, right? You know, perhaps we're just squeezing it a little tighter and, and getting a little bit more uh, juice out of that. But, you know, ultimately it's, it's the, the way we combine the two allows us to really you know, optimize the draft. And I'm not overly surprised with that. I mean, when you look at like major league clubs, there's always like some ex-Cardinals sprinkled around and, and they're producing. And, you know, that, that's really just a compliment to that scouting department. But it's also a recognition of player development as well, because, you know, there, there are times when you go out and draft players and they, they don't have the success you expect, but tell you like under Gary LaRock's leadership and his, his team they're extremely patient and, and they're always trying to find ways to help that player take that next step now I'm sure we could line up a hundred players that will tell you no they don't but we really do I mean we really try to get the most out of them and I think uh, you know that balance between sort of the, the modern or progressive way people think about the game of baseball we balance it really well with, with understanding our past and traditions still trying to blend the two together so um, again I'm fortunate to have great people working for us and uh, they really do a great job
Five years ago, you moved up to President of Baseball Operations. Um, how has your day-to-day -day changed, and has it changed as much as you expected to do? And you're still here with us instead of Michael, Michael Gershon here, it's bearing yourself. So has, has your day-to-day -day changed as much as you thought it would? You know, it was, it was, it was actually trending um, more directionally like where I was hoping it would go, and then the pandemic hit. And then when the pandemic hit, things changed a lot for all of us, right? Obviously, but um, and 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 if you guys recall, we um, you know we, we were playing that 60 game schedule. We go up to Minnesota, and you know we go into Milwaukee. And I was just being on the first trip just so I could understand like, oh, what's this going to look like? And we get into Milwaukee, and then that night at 10 p.m. that night, my phone rings, and we have our first positive COVID case. And, course it just spiraled from there and um, <clears throat> all of a sudden I realized like I couldn't just like pass this off to someone it was just like so many moves so many transactions and you know my relationship with the manager at the time it just it, it, it really kind of actually took me more backwards than forward and now here we are today you know, my job is still to position the organization to be you know, regardless if I get hit by a truck or not today, in good standing. And, you know, I do feel that's where we are. Um, I feel like we have a lot of talented people working for us, Mike Hirsch being one of them, obviously Randy Flores, Gary LaRock, to name a few. But, um, you know, under their leadership, we're in a good place. And, you know, look, I understand I'm not going to be around forever. Um, and, and so my job is really just to make sure that when that time comes, that we have people that can just succeed and, and step right in and do that. So, um, yeah, you're kind of stuck with me for a little bit longer, but, uh, you know, like, like anything, things will change. Yep. You mentioned sort of along the lines of development. I know, I think the last time we were here, we were talking about Jeff Gersh and kind of reorganizing the mentality about hitting and the approach and that going from the very lowest levels all the way through to the major league level. I'm just kind of curious your perspective on how that sort of transition or rewriting of the, the approach to hitting has gone and if it's consistent at this point from those minor league levels to what they're getting all the way through to what you see here. So just for clarity, you mean Jeff Albert? Yes, sorry. Okay, okay. So, so yeah, we brought Jeff Albert in and from a very high level, he's done exactly what we hoped he would do, okay? Um, I think though, like when you when you pay attention to what's happening with our club about, I don't know, 13 months ago, like people were calling for his head or be fired. It seemed like there was a really a lot of tension between him and our manager. And obviously the manager's changed. Now all of a sudden people are calling for Jeff's head and like people like kind of where our offense is or at least uh, happier where it is. And so the, the thing about Jeff is, Jeff's more like a scientist than maybe more like a, just a pure hitting coach. but. That's what we needed. We, we, we were coming from a, 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 lack of a better way, almost like an archaic approach. Like we were, we were stuck in a time where we weren't leveraging modern tools, whether it's analytics, technology, and, and allowing our players to, to grow that way. And as you can imagine, when you're getting kids from these top Division I programs, they only have to be top Division I programs, it's just Division I in general. I mean, colleges have stuff. Okay, and when they were coming to us, our stuff wasn't there. And 
yes, we were we would talk about oh we're investing in this we're doing but if you don't have somebody that's really the advocate for this stuff, it doesn't work. And so getting Jeff to do that, whether it was top down, bottom up, however you want to think about it, he accomplished that. So from a hitting standpoint, I think we are all on the same page. It doesn't mean like everything's for everyone, right? I think that's like the biggest misnomer about how people should think about hitting. In other words, if you understand like exit velocity, for example, and you have an individual that that hits the ball 105 on average, or when I say average, like top 20%, like, okay, then you should think about his, his launching, because he's hitting the ball hard enough where it's actually going to clear the fence. Now, you might have another individual who hits the ball at 80 or 85, and then you're starting to think about his launch angle? No, no, because all you're going to do is pop up, right? So you got to, like, rethink how you do it. And I think, like, you know, under Jeff and, and our other hitting coaches, we get that now. And then, you know, the one thing we did have to do was make one change at the major league level with the hitting yeah, coach. Because we did want more of a game day strategist. Someone that, as 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 hitters, can, like, bounce off things. Like, hey, what are you seeing? What, what am I missing? And so sort of just have someone, like, in there to help with that. And I think we've accomplished that as well. But, you know, look, there's so much stuff out there in the game of baseball right now. It's moving super fast. Like someone said to me this morning, I was in the draft room, and he goes, imagine what baseball's going to look like in 10 years if you think about how far baseball's come in the past 10 years. Like, is it going to be on that same trajectory of change? I think the answer is yes, because I do think you're going to see more tinkering with, like, you know, what's happened in games. Like, for any of you that actually get to go to a minor league game, they're kind of fun to watch, right? Like, the, the, the pace is real. Like that pitch clock works. And you know, these guys are gonna have to adjust and adjust fast. Because I mean, I'm an advocate for that. I think it's a great idea because I do feel like, you know, like last night I got home at quarter twelve, right? And I knew I had to be back down here about seven AM. So like, it's just like fast night. And if that game was actually like two and a half hours, then pretty sweet. <laughs> or I vote for like six forty five Friday night, so <laughs> Yes, sir. Yeah, um, kind of continuing off of what you talked about as far as uh, developments in terms of just hitting, since you've been the general manager of the organization, it seems like uh, the purview of what front offices can do has really expanded and you're able to do so much more now in your development and, and areas you want before. So I'd just be curious, what's something that you feel like kind of front office staff are involved in and contributing to now that they weren't when you started that you're maybe particularly proud of or you really see a lot of results on the field? I think the biggest difference for me, because like you know, my background was more on the scouting side as I came up, and, and so like, the, the, of course, there's been changes in that side, but I think like like front office always had involvement in that. Like you know, I mean, I was negotiating contracts since '96, you know, um, but I think the biggest difference is, is how much the major league coaching staff and manager want information from our, our front office. And, and so, like, the influence on what you can do now in the clubhouse is far greater than like, what it was like in 96 when I was with the Cardinals. Um, you know, it was, it was non-existent, really, right? And, and, like, if you think back to, like, you know, 25 years ago, the only person that didn't really influence the manager with the exception of his coaching staff was, like, what was called as uh, an advanced scout. I mean, that was really it. And, and you know, now, because you have so much horsepower up in the front office, generating so much information, 
that you can that you can derive from the analytical point of view, like coaches are interested in that. And and it's from anything to understanding like pitch calling, pitch selection, to defensive alignment, to lineups. And you know, don't run with that and say, Oh, Mo makes lineups. I don't. I really don't. Like, you know, if the manager's curious about how you would think about something, like we don't just say, Oh, we would do this, we would say we would think about it this way because of, and then actually present something that's you know more factual. So it's a lot less of this is what I feel versus you know we back it up with science. And, you know if they want to use it, they can use it. And but like those phone calls weren't happening when I first started at all. So that part's super cool. And I just think like like the, it's like anything, right? Like you know like you look at your toolbox that you carry. And, and how you use it to make decisions or, or run a business. And our toolbox has just gotten bigger and better, right? And, and so what we reach for now gives us a lot more confidence in how we think about decision making. So I, I sort of like feel like, in a way, my job's gotten a little easier, but it's also a lot harder. And the reason it's harder is because like anything we do is just magnified. You know, I think back to being named general manager Back in 07, you know, you would deal with local media, that kind of thing, but it wasn't like, you didn't feel like, like Twitter was judging everything you did, or, or <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, like, I quit reading Twitter a couple years ago, because I started, like, getting depressed, and I'm not a depressed kind of guy, I'm really not, like, I'm, like, super optimistic, really, and I was like, shit, man, excuse my language, I was like, like, not feeling good, like, so I don't do it. And, and, like, and I know you can get some insights and like it can help you like stay abreast on things, but it's just not worth it. Like, and, and so like, you know, that evolution also sort of like having with my own personal way of thinking about stuff. So yeah, the toolbox has gotten better, but not everything you're grabbing for. Well, John, to keep on the optimistic train, national media has really caught on to how good Jordan Walker is. So how early on in his development did you kind of notice that in him? And what are you seeing in his trajectory right now for Cardinal fans? It's sort of funny, right? Like you, you go back to that 2020 draft and ours looks pretty good. Uh, <laughs> where would those guys go if you like redid the draft? Like, I mean, Walker would probably be top three, top two. And I would say like the, he stood out really, like opened up a lot of eyes when he uh, attended that, that mini camp we had or that alt camp. And uh, you know, he was competing against guys that were, you know, really, you know, swinging between camps for the big leagues and AAA, if you will. And he was having competitive at-bats. And then the other thing that was, like, super unique about him was just how hard he hit the ball. So, like, no matter how smart all of us think we are on hitting, it's, it's really pretty simple. Um, you know, if you hit the ball hard and often, that's pretty good. <laughs> and so, like, that's what he did. And so, like, again, we didn't have to, like, be super clever or smart to figure it out. But when a guy is hitting the ball at, at you know 18 years old at 115 or 160 miles an hour, that's insane. And so like you know, that gets passed around the front office pretty quick. And so like we all realized that was pretty special. So unique player because um, he's got that skill. And in terms of like where we end up playing him, that's to be determined. But uh, super talent. Thank you. Yes, sir. Uh, you mentioned Andrew Earl Chamberlain this year. I know we're not going to be all-star break yet, but what are your thoughts on Ramon's managing and you know, what do you see that going for the rest of the year? You know, I'm, I'm thrilled with how Ollie's done. I think he's uh, a really impressive young person that uh, 
you know, jumped into something that you know most people don't get that opportunity at 35 years old. And, but more to the point, he just he just understands players. He understands uh, um, how we think about running the game. Um, so he's super open-minded. You know, he is very interested in, in how we can help better him, and you know that's pretty cool. Um, and I just think like. You know, the way he runs this clubhouse, the whole band, I think like most of you probably agree, it's, it's been pretty smart. Like he's doing it like the way you'd expect. And you know, there are times when you're like, oh, why aren't they using someone? But you guys don't have to be all that smart and you don't have to like overthink this. This probably means the player's just not available, okay? It's not because he's that stupid, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I write that from time to time. My point is, it's like, they know who can pitch and who can and why. And, and so, you know, I feel like just from the overall like, sort of like day to day of how it's running the lineup to the bullpen, I think it's done an outstanding job. It's fun to work with. <laughs> with the uh, current deadline market, how do you assess what you're willing to give up and what you're willing to get? That's a silly question. You know, I'll tell you. <laughs> because it's a hypothetical, right? So if Mike Trout were available, for example, you might give up something more <laughs> for um, pick a player. So when someone says, like, I learned a long time ago, never say, like, never speak in absolutes, right? In, in other words, like, I used to always say, like, oh, I will never trade X, right? But that's not a very smart statement because there's probably a player on earth that you might trade him for. So I think like the way to always think about the trading deadline is, is you know, we have a way of sort of understanding value proposition, right? Again, it might be different than how you guys think about it, but we use math and we, we try to be as smart about it as possible. And it's not like we have to win every deal. Either. That's, that's not what I'm trying to say, but there is a practical approach to how we think about it. And so, you know, look, it's pretty clear this team should try to find some innings. And so that's what we're going to do. Now, will it look like how we did last year where we took two guys that were sort of aging veterans that ended up getting a little bit of enthusiasm and they joined us and it allowed us to have success? Or do we look for something more bigger, maybe something with more control? Who knows? Like, the market itself hasn't quite developed yet. And I think, like, as the market does develop, we'll have a better idea. But clearly, when you look at our current club, we need something more than just, just you know, a guy that's going to eat five a week. So, you know, we, we understand that there's probably going to be some cost to that. But I wouldn't want to part with Joe Moore. <laughs> For the record. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, sticking on the trade demo a little bit, Arenado had some comments yesterday with Derek Gould's story that probably perked a lot of our ears up. Essentially saying, you know, I don't, I don't want to win the wild card anymore. I want to win the division. I want to be a part of that. Uh, we're right there in this. You know, there's some things we need. It's always good to add. When you hear a star player who's gone opt out saying things like that, and then you just think about the season as a whole, right? Wayno a question mark next year. Uh, Yachty and Albert kind of last season together. Obviously, within reason, like you said, you're not going to wreck the farm system. But when you look at this season as a whole and comments like that, does it motivate you a little bit more at the trade deadline? Maybe this year than in years past, or maybe even Mr. DeWitt to say, hey, let's go a little bit bigger this year? I would say no. Like, like I mean, again, like, like you have to have a way of, of, 
of, of how you think about your process. And like, like sometimes when I when I talk about this, I talk about like you know having to re, re, you know remain disciplined, don't do something that you, you might regret. But look, we like our team, right? And and we understand that an addition or two could make it better. So. You know, the, 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 the idea of doing that isn't something that we're fearful of. I mean, like, you know, for someone to say, like, I, I don't want to be a wild card, I want to win the division, well, like, so do we, right? I mean, like, you know, and we have won a lot, right? So, I mean, we're going to keep trying to win a lot. So, you know, I think, like, but you can't, like, like let comments all of a sudden change your rational way of thinking. I, mean, like, I guess you could, but I don't know how smart that is. But, like, you know, look, we, we get it. We, we have a good club, we've been banged up, we've had a crazy schedule. Um, I mean, I can give you a litany of excuses, but those are just it, excuses. Um, bottom line is this game, you're measured, right? Results matter. And so, you know, we'll try to way to get better for that second half. Uh, there's been a lot of talk in public circles about minor league pay conditions in recent years, maybe guys not being able to invest in their performance, their bodies as much. I know league-wide there's been changes to housing policy, the class action settlement recently. I wonder, are there things the Cardinals either already do or are considering implementing to kind of either keep or gain a player development edge on that front? You know, it's always a, a tricky topic, but um, it's almost like impossible to keep the masses happy, right? Like, like no matter what you do. And I, I, you know, we talk about like the last 10 years of just change. I mean, that's probably one of the most significant changes in, in the game that it doesn't even really get recognized. Um, you know, right now, like all player housing is covered now. Um, the food that used to be awful is now like at least edible, and it's much more nutritious. Um, you know, you know, and you think back to that like that food issue. That's been something that we've been focused on for a decade. But um, it, it's it is hard to manage, and it's also hard to like keep people always happy. With Imagine if like you don't like hot dogs and you came in here and you're starving, right? And that's like, kind of like a clubhouse. It's like, no matter what you do, we try to offer like, healthy proteins, but sometimes people get sick of chicken, you know? And, and some of the tweets are not happy about it. Ten other people love the tweet, just gross, so it's crazy. But, you know, like, like you are trying to provide them with, with, with a, the ability to create a curriculum for growth. I say that what I'm really saying is an environment that they can optimize their time and look being a professional baseball player not everybody gets that opportunity right um, and when you think about being a major league baseball player you kind of think of that phrase many tried but few are chosen right and it's tough and it's hard and, and so for an industry to start recognizing that, that, that we need better treatment of minor league players I think it's a healthy thing, and and you know, hope I hope that they benefit from it. But in the end, there's still only 26 that can play, right? And so it's still going to be a tough march up. Here. I'm curious to bounce off of that a little bit, because obviously you are not sitting in your office every day dealing with what minor league players are eating. <laughs> but what is kind of that organizational structure to? take what you establish or what Major League Baseball establishes in terms of the overall minor league to major league approach and kind of having that oversight or, or who is involved in that process to make sure that those goals that you have then are actually happening without you having to. Yeah, so it mostly falls under like our performance department. So, 
that was a department that really didn't even exist 10 or 12 years ago. And a lot of people would just say, what does that mean? What makes that up? But you know, originally it would be like you'd have a strength coach on every team. But now it's it's now you have access to nutritionists um, and and our our current performance staff that's up here that we also have um, something that looks very similar down in Jupiter. That group really understands like how we're fueling the body, and and so they're they're responsible for it. But they're the ones that will come to me and say, look, you know, we need to spend more money to achieve this, or you know, so and so at at such field or team, minor league team, isn't providing what we're requesting. And so then I'll get involved with that owner or, or general manager down there. But it's it's tough because, um, like I said, it's hard to keep everyone happy in that type of environment. I mean, look, big leagues, man, it's it's big, right? I mean, you, you go down to that spread, there are a handful of guys here that have eaten from that spread. And, I mean, if you want, there's three different proteins, right? There's a fish, a chicken, and a red meat, and it's good. And yet, big leaguers tell me, we gotta do better. You know, it's, it's, it's like, it's tough. I mean, it's tough keeping people happy. And, you know, food's just always one of those topics that that it can always, like, spur a lot of interest, especially among the players. Look, when I first started the game in 93, like, spring training, zero breakfast, right? If you were lucky enough to get there, you might get cereal if you were early enough. But usually that was gone pretty quick. And then lunch was nothing but soup, okay? And then if you were sort of late to lunch, all it was was broth. Because whoever went first, you know, scoop, drain. And that was it. And and now, I mean, it's you can eat pretty well. But we get it, right? Like, you, you, performance matters. And so fueling the body and all that, that goes into our math. And, and so, you know, ultimately, we, we try to do what we can to make that, that appropriate. One or two more from Mel. Yes, ma'am. Um, so, with us being your bloggers and podcasters and everything, what do you as an organization want to see or hear from us or want to see? That's a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really is. Um, you know, look, I'm biased. I like people that advocate for our product. I like people that tell us we're doing great. Um, I, I like people that talk about our minor league system because I, I think that's you know our future. And if you're a pipeline-driven organization, you want that out there. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, again, it's you know there's that old saying, right? Any 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 news is better than no news, right? But you know there is that side of you that like feels like you sometimes you're just a punching bag. And, and, and that part can kind of weigh on you. But, you know, look, I think I wouldn't be sitting here if I didn't want you or, or, or think you guys had value to what we do. Um, and, and I hope that's why you understand I do come to this. Because, like, like, even though I might not agree with what you write or how you think about our situation, I still recognize that you are at least bringing insights of our organization, of our team, to people that are interested. So, thank you. Well, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes we provide constructive criticism as well. So. All right. All right. I do have a question, Diana Schultz, women who love Cardinals baseball. Um, it's been a real joy watching Albert work with the younger players this year. Would after he retires, would the team have an interest in you know bringing him on in that kind of role, helping the Hispanic players and the younger players? Well, I think he's helping all players. 
works. But um, look, I I think it's a it's a cool story. Um, super excited. Like he's being really productive right now. And you know, like like when we did it, I didn't want it to be oh, it was just a nostalgic decision. Like you know, we still are trying to win baseball games, and it's it's so important that he's a productive player. But I do think that that nuance of, of how he's been a mentor and and really sort of like reminding younger players what this organization is about this has been super cool and you know like I even look at this like after we signed him like, like how good of a player he was when he was here I mean like, arguably if you remove Barry Bonds from sort of the equation you might have won six or seven MVPs I mean it's like crazy um, and so like to, to see that now back here is like Awesome, and um, I will tell you, like when he and I were together, you know, that last year at eleven, I would say that relationship was fair, part and cloudy. <laughs> and uh, you know, now it's like we, you know, it's almost like we haven't been around. We haven't been, we haven't like been apart for ten years. Like it's like, super fun. He's uh, refreshing to be around, and uh, he's actually brought a lot of energy to our clubhouse. So it's awesome. A couple years ago, probably four or five, you sat in here and you self-deprecatingly talked about your record with relievers. For every Packy Naughton, there's a TJ McFarland. Is it is it this year, not last year? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you somebody have to ask. Is is the process any different? Do you, do you look at relievers any different? Is it just just so chaotic that there's not much you can do? No, I think we're better at it than where we were, and, and I think like TJ McFarland was exactly what we needed last year. Um, you know, we were, we, if you recall, like when we started making a lot of the changes last year, the, the, the problem with our club, really with our, with our pitching staff at the time, was just how many walks. Like we just weren't throwing strikes. So, you know, we quickly looked at who's available and looked at who was throwing strikes, uh, preferably guys that could get ground balls and went out and got them. And you saw a big change in how things worked, right? Results. And, you know, as I, as I think back to that, like, like the problem with, with like what you just said and why I find it like sort of frustrating is because like, okay, so McFarland's not good now. What, you guys just want me to punt on two and a half million, move on, it never happened. Well, it did happen, right? I still owe the money. And, and, and you know, like we acquired him last year from AAA. Right, so the place he was pitching didn't even value him, and now all of a sudden, because other guys are doing well and he he struggled for the first month and a half, it's like get rid of him. And I assure you, if that's your attitude and that's how you want to manage a club, you're never walking the clubhouse and, and have any credibility. Because people will be fearful of their job. People will think all you do is like I'm either helping you or I'm out. And it's, it's a tougher way to run a business, right? I mean, imagine if your own boss, you know, didn't like what you were doing today. And, you know, doesn't want to give you a second chance because you, you, you suck today. But you're out. Like, that's, that's like, it's a hard way to run a business, right? Especially since my boss is my dad. <laughs> he actually told me he wasn't pleased with that. Check your back, brother. <laughs> so, my, my point here is, though, it's, it's I understand as a fan you get emotionally like either attached or detached a lot quicker than I can. And 
Um, again, if you want to ever sit in this seat and try it, you will see. It's a, it's, a, it's a very volatile place if you react in a negative way every time something negative happens. And, and so, um, you know, I get it. Like, Farland hasn't pitched all that well this year. But, you know, when he went down on rehab, the spin rates and other things that he was showing demonstrated like he was getting closer to where he was last year, but we all loved him, as I remind you, and where we felt like, okay, we can find a way to make it work. So anyway, managing rosters is hard. It really is. And now with like the five uh, option thing, it even makes it even more complicated. I don't think it's going to come into play for us, but like, never say never. All right, one more or final final or something like that? Two more, and then we're out of here. Um, you were just talking about specific player fits or type fits with you needed a ground ball guy last year so you went up and got we need a strike throw as well. Strike throw and ground ball. Um, you also talked last offseason about doing uh, some research into the walls of the stadium with dimensions of the field trying to get a little more offense here. Um, I guess the two-part question is how's that going? Is the research still being done or was it done and you didn't do it? And then the second part is have you looked into maybe how that changes what types of players you look for in free agency or through your system. Yeah, so the question's on, on last year we were debating whether we should move in the, the outfield walls, uh, make it more of a hitter's part versus a pitcher's part, right? The reason we chose not to do it last year was twofold. One is we wanted to allow a full season with the humidor to see if that makes a difference or not. We did do a study on wind currents and that type of thing, so we have a better understanding of, of where we were. Obviously, when we originally built this ballpark, those towers weren't there, and so, um, but it's a hard place to hit a ball out of the ballpark, right? Um, but the other thing I think we need to sort of wait on is if the strike zone changes, because it might behoove us to have a place where it's hard to hit the ball out of the ballpark if doubles and singles come back into vogue. Um, so, We'll see, but we did do a lot of research on it, but we concluded that we still we still needed more information to make before we make that change. So, to be determined. All right, final, final, kids, walk us out. What is the status of Yadier Molina? What's the back? status of Yadier Molina? Come back before well, All right, before I answer this question, <laughs> who wants him back in this room? That was lukewarm. <laughs> Usually I ask that question, it's like, oh, get him back, get him back. So I'm hopeful that by the end of this month, he's out on a rehab, and then uh, early part of August, we have to be activated. Spoke with them, uh, let's say, Saturday, yeah, so I spoke with them on Tuesday. Um, he, he definitely sounded energized and, and wanting to start uh, pushing his baseball activity. So I think he's physically feeling much better. And so when you get to that point, you're starting to get much more closer to being back on the field. So fingers crossed that's what it is. I mean, obviously, catching's been a tough position for us this year. I mean, uh, I was always a big advocate for kids, hoping to get some chances. And you know, he's struggled a little bit. Obviously, in the last week, he's been playing better. So that continues. And uh, but yeah, so hopefully the last couple months will happen. Cool. All right, guys. Thank you. It was fun. And uh, fun today. You should have air conditioning. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, nerdcast.com. That's N-Y-R-D-C-A-S-T. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching at Nerdcast. 
This week's song is Atlas Fractured by 84 Tigers.